19 plus one hunger ain't history. I'm Jarrett Murphy from citylimits.org. My broadcast partner, Ben Max from gothamgazette.com is off tonight. And we now have, I am told, Joel Berg on the line. Joel, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you for having me. It is very appropriate for me to be here on 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 uh, St. Patrick's Day, when the St. Patrick's Day Memorial Hunger Memorial, and then when the Irish Hunger Memorial was built in New York City and unveiled, something like 15 years ago, I put out a press release how appalling it was. All these politicians were bemoaning Irish hunger when they were allowing expanded hunger here in America, and some people who are non-Irish were sort of offended that I made the comparison, and every Irish American. And I knew, uh, thought it was a very apt uh, analysis and congratulated <laughs> me for saying that. Yes, definitely. Congratulations, uh, belatedly. Uh, but to take us uh, 15 years uh, into the future from that to today, uh, the hunger situation in New York City amid the pandemic, we obviously are at more than a year now since it started. Um, what do you think the situation is? Well, worser isn't a word in English, but it should be. During the pandemic, things went from worse to worser. And what I mean by that is we had a very serious hunger epidemic before the pandemic. Uh, in 2019, when things in the economy were theoretically hunky-dory, when uh, unemployment, uh, on, at least on paper, was very low, there were uh, a million New Yorkers who couldn't afford enough food. And so what happened was in the pandemic, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers lost their jobs. Uh, a million kids a day who were getting some sort of school meal stopped getting them. Uh, senior centers closed and tens of thousands of meals they were distributing got shut down while pantries and kitchens are a relatively small part of the solution. Uh, some of them were, were shut down and then food prices shot up, some due to market forces and some due to illegal price gouging. And so things really went from worse to worser. And some of the media narrative, not you guys, but others sort of implied that, uh, oh, this is a brand new problem. Oh, and now oh, a, a former donor's online. Well, the only time a former donor's online is if they were lower middle class to begin with, which many people were. So people who were poor and hungry became poorer and hungrier, and people who were at the edge of poverty and hunger became poor and hungry. And now that we are at, you know, March 2021, about a year since we were plunged into that crisis, where are we relative to the depths of the hunger crisis in the, I guess, late spring, summer of last year? Is it, is it still that bad? Have we seen some recovery? Have some of these efforts to plug that hole, whether it's the distribution sites or the delivery programs, have they helped to stop the gap a little bit? No, the, the situation is probably just as bad as it was. The only thing that's really going to reduce it is this recovery bill, which is not only going to give many low-income people very significant cash uh, overall, is significantly increasing the SNAP program. Uh, I will say there's been so much focus on things like mutual aid societies that give out, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of food to, you know, a few dozen people. That really obscures the fact that right now in New York City, there are one point six million people getting SNAP, what used to be called food stamps. That program in 2020 spent $3.4 billion, $3.4 billion. So the, the government safety net 
programs really dwarf everything else we've seen. Uh, and, and so uh, we do have massive food insecurity still in New York City. We still have massive numbers of people, perhaps up to 2 million people, really rationing food. But you don't see sort of Depression-era uh, starvation. Uh, you don't see people just going weeks at a time without food because there has been this you know, very massive expansion of the safety net of SNAP and WIC. And whatever you think of de Blasio overall, he's actually done a pretty good job, and his team has done a pretty good job on the food response uh, over course of a few weeks, they created a brand new program that delivered up to a million home-delivered meals a day, a million meals a day, just over a few weeks. Uh, and so it was really government stepping up to the plate that made this much less bad than it would have been, but we're by no means out of the wood. And as a nonprofit leader, Hunger Free America, I do worry that a lot of people who donated charities, corporations, uh, there are increases in government uh, spending in, in 2020, a lot of those will have donor fatigue because elites are no longer in, in, in trouble. They will forget that this problem existed and many of us who increased our staff to deal with this still high problem will have really trouble you know, meeting our, our expenses later in this year if, if people don't repeat that funding. So that, that's the challenge we face now. You mentioned earlier uh, the importance of school food and how the shutdown of school affected the ability of families to get that crucial assistance. I believe that the New York City school food system is next to the military, the largest uh, feeding system in the U.S. and probably one of the larger ones uh, in the world. School, having come back online in obviously sort of a strange way, a lot of students still being remote, um, elementary, middle school now having some hybrid learning, high school about to pop up with that next week. What's the status of school food in the city? Is it is it up and running for kids who are in school when they're in school? So you are right. It's a massive system. Uh, you know, all, all told, they serve about a million meals a day. Unfortunately, before the pandemic, we had a very low school breakfast participation rate. Only half the kids who got school lunch got school breakfast. And we were pushing the city to do in-classroom breakfasts to make it more likely for kids to eat. And what's happened for the schools that are coming back in operation, particularly elementary schools, my understanding, I've been told by the city, they are doing in-classroom breakfast. So I won't say there's anything good that came out of this, but a small, small, small silver lining is the city's proved that they can increase the ability of kids to get school breakfast. Uh, again, putting serving breakfast in the classroom is a good thing in good times because low-income kids are more likely to get it now, but particularly in a pandemic when you know, most uh, lunchrooms, people are really crowded together on the same uh, literally bench, you know, elbow to elbow eating, you have at least a bit more social distancing in a classroom where the desks are a few feet apart. So it's a smart thing to do overall and a smart thing to do for social distancing. For schools that are still uh, closed, uh, the city still does have what's called grab-and-go sites where you can go to a, uh, a school or some other neighborhood centers and pick up foods to eat at home. One thing New York City did that most other places around the country didn't do is they made meals equally available to adults and students. And frankly, they did so without even knowing for a thousand percent sure that they were going to be reimbursed by the federal government. Many of those meals eventually were reimbursed by FEMA or will under the new great recovery bill that passed. But 
that really was a progressive big thing to say not only would the kids eat but their parents or, or frankly not even parents any adults who would show up and need the food could could get it so again this the city you know screwed up on many ways over the last uh, decade or more but uh compared to most of the rest of the parts of the country uh the city of new york actually did a far better job at least related to food you mentioned earlier that obviously the, the big player in this is the SNAP program, formerly known as food stamps, people getting benefits so they can purchase food in the traditional way. You also made mention of some of the things that de Blasio and his team set up to deal directly with the pandemic, like the home delivery system. It's kind of a patchwork and, and people negotiate to find the food they need if their benefits don't go far enough or if they're not uh, eligible for benefits, they might use uh, freestanding food pantries and one of the issues that, that arose for those pantries, I think you, you mentioned already, the, the question of donations, but another was just getting volunteers to to staff those hours, given the concerns about social distancing and people's you know, fears about being on the subway. Do you have a sense of whether that system is is back up and running or, or has it gone offline? What, what are the kind of individual pantries look like? Most of the pantries that went offline were relatively small, so some going out of business did not impact the overall food distribution as much as you'd think, because many of the bigger entities distribute a disproportionate amount of food. Now, I, I should say that anyone listening in New York, or especially if you donate generously to BAI to keep their transmitter on the air, some people in Connecticut or New Jersey are listening or in the suburbs, you can call the Hunger Hotline run by Hunger Free America at one eight six six. Three hungry one eight six six three hungry, uh, and and find out where you can get food near you. If you don't need food and you're uh, well off enough to donate, donate to BAI and Hunger Free America. That's my little plug there. Uh, <laughs> I would say one 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 other uh, problem was that uh, for weeks, actually for months, uh, the state had said that grocery food workers were included in vaccine eligibility. And uh, nonprofit food workers weren't, uh, which was uh, fairly uh, astonishing. And we don't get me wrong. We strongly thought grocery workers should be covered. Uh, and then the governor said, oh, we're not going to include restaurant workers, even though he was forcing restaurants to reopen or allowing restaurants to reopen, basically forcing low income restaurant workers to go back to work. And he said something very dismissive about those who wanted them to get vaccines. But when after media outcry, uh, refused to allow them to he allowed, he said they can be on the vaccine list, but still excluded nonprofit workers. It was really only if I can plug Jared and, and city limits was city limits, you know, dug into this and, you know, contacted the governor's office uh, about this. And, and, and magically, uh, before they could even you know, originally run the story, you know, reversed the position and finally said that nonprofit food workers could get you know, uh, vaccines. And by the way, uh, New York was an outlier. New Jersey has allowed nonprofit. To food workers to get the vaccines from from the get-go. And many of our staff were working very closely uh, with the public in low-income neighborhoods with very high vaccines rates. So that's one concern we still have. And our office, you know, under the pandemic, Hunger Free America actually opened our first ever field office in the South Bronx. And we've had to close it for the last few weeks because the high uh, pandemic rates there uh, were worried, A, about our staff and B, that our staff would spread it since low-income people often have compromised immune systems, especially if they're malnourished. So we are hopeful that our staff getting vaccines and other people getting vaccines 
uh, and lowering the rates will allow us to go back into the field. We're still you know, very, very effective by phone, but we'd be even more effective in person. And so that is a concern. And, and many you know, of the volunteers at these you know, uh, volunteer-run pantries and kitchens were older New Yorkers. So this was a particular concern for them. Talk about the federal bill, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that passed recently. What does that hold in store for uh, it, it, hunger know, issues it, it, in the city? It, it, it is a game changer. As you know, I, I previously was, you know, uh, briefly a, a BAI host as well. Uh, you know, and when I would share such things, there'd be, you know, people from BAI, some old, you know, Trotskyites from Upper West Side calling in that it's, I'm just a, a neoliberal sellout and there's no difference between the two parties. And not to get you in trouble with your listeners, but if there's anyone who still really wants to argue that there's no difference between the parties, that because, you know, uh, not everyone who's wealthy got you know $2000 instead of only a very upper middle class people getting $1400 and because they didn't get in a minimum wage bill it, you know increase in this bill it was just a right wing sell that's preposterous this is the most progressive piece of domestic policy in at least the last 50 years it can at least for the next year cut child poverty in half significantly reduce uh, you know hunger including uh, you know child hunger and and, and so there's no way to look at this except a massive progressive victory. And I point out uh, in the last version of the bill, every Democrat in the House of Representatives except one voted for it. That equals 99.5 percent of the Democrats in the House. Every single Republic, every single Democrat in the Senate including Joe Manchin, voted for it. So I know New York progressives are mad at him, and I, I get that, but he voted for the most progressive piece of domestic legislation you know, in, in modern times. So 99.5% of, of House Democrats voted for it. Uh, 100% of, of, of Senate Democrats voted for it. Not a single Republican in the Senate, not a single Republican in the House voted uh, for it. And so those of you who are still claiming these really aren't partisan issues, now, Hunger Free America is not a partisan organization, but that doesn't mean we have to ignore the the truth in front, in front of our eyes. This issue has become as partisan as gun control and reproductive choice, and people need to, to understand that. And as you know, I'm a tough advocate. I'm always pushing government to do more and better. But when, you know, elected officials really, uh, you know, uh, do something great, we have to also have their back as advocates. And I, a special shout out to Chuck, Chuck Schumer. He spent his career amassing power. And people were, OK, if he gets real, real power, what will he do with it? And we've seen what he's done with it. He's really delivered on a wide variety of progressive, you know, causes in, in this bill. So, you know, I'm, I'm usually Debbie downer the daily show once called me uh, mr frowny pants uh but you can't really see a smile on on radio but i i am i'm smiling and this was not an overnight victory right we and tons of other advocates and grassroots people have been working to push these things for decades but the accumulated weight of our advocacy plus a change in in the senate and a change in the white house allowed this to happen so for all the way out there who think nothing matters nothing ever changes they're all the same i say wake up Things are changing and for the better, and it's because a new team's in charge. One of the issues with federal benefits, especially SNAP, has always been not just whether they are there, whether people are eligible, what the benefit levels are, but how they might actually 
access those benefits. And there's been a lot of work over the years to try to make it easier to apply for for food stamps for SNAP. With the advent of the pandemic and offices shutting down, people not being able to travel or do things in person, there obviously were some obstacles that popped up in terms of getting people to be able to to sign up for food stamps uh, for SNAP. Where does does that stand in terms of the mechanics of of actually enrolling in these problems? in these programs. Are there are there obstacles there or has the city basically uh, done what it needs to do on that front? There are still obstacles. There's a city council budget hearing today uh, where uh, council member Stephen Levin, who's, who's the head of the General Welfare Committee and some advocates, uh, highlighted some difficulties in reaching city offices, particularly by phone. That being said, New York City actually did a much better job in benefits access than virtually anywhere else in the country because we had been pushing the city and, and uh, effectively done so to automate more of these services. So New York City, you can actually submit a SNAP application by smartphone. And not just your application, but your supporting documents. You can take a picture of them with your smartphone and submit them, which you can't do in the rest of the state. You can't do in much of the rest of the country. Uh, And so that helped in the pandemic. And also one of the things the city pushed for and got is the ability to waive the needs for people to come in physically to a city office to get cash assistance. It's called a TANF now that used to be called uh, you know, welfare. Uh, so our next step is to push the city, uh, and hopefully the next mayor will, will, will do this, is to make access for a wide variety of programs, not just food programs, available online. So New York City and nowhere in the state can you apply for SNAP and WIC, the program, nutritional program for pregnant women and children under five. Nowhere in the city can you apply for that uh, you know, online. We need to make that happen. We need to combine Section 8 applications for housing to get on the NYCHA waiting list online to be able to file your for your tax refunds online. So uh, we're pushing the city to do that. Uh, Senator Gillibrand and Congressman Escalat have also authored a bill that they're going to reintroduce this session to create pilot projects at the federal level to help places like New York City do that better. So that's the next system changes we need to allow you to get all your benefits in one place with a smartphone instead of having to go to, you know, eight different offices to get 10 different benefits. We have time for one more question, about a minute left, and I'm curious, in the campaign for mayor and other campaigns around the city, people are talking about a lot of interesting nutrition issues, not just hunger, but whether we need to push more New Yorkers toward a plant-based diet, uh, whether we need to take more steps to promote local agriculture. Do you feel as though those issues um, are complements to the basic question of what can the city do to reduce hunger? Or do you feel those are distractions? Do you think like the time for those conversations is a few years off that we need to satisfy the the hunger issue first and then talk about where the food comes from and what, what kind of food people are eating? How do you feel those line up? I have a nuanced, complex answer that won't fit in the remaining minute. Let me just say it's important to promote full array of nutritional options, including plant-based diets. It's important to support uh, community agriculture, but anyone who gives the impression that those things will significantly reduce hunger in New York City, significantly on their own, improve the nutritional content of what New Yorkers eat, is selling you a bill of goods. I was the chief federal official in charge of urban agriculture. 
agriculture in the Clinton administration. There's just not that much land in New York. It's really expensive. So anyone who gives the impression you're going to create a whole lot of jobs with this and you're going to feed a whole lot of people through community gardens just isn't being you know accurate. So they're important things to do, but it's also important not to distract. But the real way to end hunger is to create jobs, ensure they pay a living wage, make sure health care is free, uh, child care and housing is affordable, and then there's adequate safety and things like uh, SNAP and WIC and school meals. Well, he might be Mr. Frowny Pants and a neoliberal sellout, but we love him. Joel Berg from Hunger Free America, thank you so much for joining us. And Max and Murphy, come on again soon. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. 